Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is finding the question. Grab yourself a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles or crochet hook and join us. Let us introduce ourselves. I'm Pastor Amanda Zenzelo, and I serve as the pastor at Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Deacon Bonnie, the deacon here at Central. And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, so for those who have been paying attention, we started talking about a bunch of repairs that need to be made on the actual church building itself. And then that led into a couple of questions about how to proceed from there. And we decided to wait because we wanted Deacon Bonnie to join us in this conversation. Mm -hmm. So we now have Deacon Bonnie and all of her wonderful expertise. Again, if anybody remembers the community organizing podcast that I did with her a while ago, please go back and listen. They're wonderful. She's here. She's joined us. And we're super excited to finally get this conversation on the road. So with that said, where would you like to start? Well, that's part of the thing is that when you have a large community question like this, for folks who haven't heard yet or who may not exactly recall what we're discussing, mm -hmm. we have learned across the last year and a half of investigation and careful work around our facility that we have approximately $1.5 million roughly worth of necessary maintenance to do on our facility that is basic work that has to be done in order to maintain the physical structure of our facility. None of it is emergency at this point in time, so we have some time to make some decisions, and we have time to do some discernment, and none of it at this point is emergency structural repair, although it could become that were we to continue to neglect it. Mm -hmm. And so as responsible stewards of a property, as responsible individuals who care about taking care of our people and the gifts that we've been given, we have to take time to make faithful and good decisions around these things. But then comes the question of what is a faithful and good decision? And how does one make a faithful and good decision of this kind of size and caliber? We're talking about $1.5 million or more across the next decade of time on a facility, on something that is a, a capital need. This isn't programs. This isn't on the ground ministry. This it's is not making grants that you're giving out. Nope, not grants. This is making sure that the roof is secure and that the walls stay vertical, those kinds of pieces. Then it becomes, how do we make the decision? And even how do we ask the questions? And then as Deacon reminds me often, it's what question do you even start with. Mm -hmm. So Deacon, I'll toss it to you because the question, as you often remind me, you have to start with the right question when you're even starting the conversation. Yep. When you and I start talking about this kind of stuff, sometimes I will you know, jump the gun or be like, okay, so are we or are we not going to do the building repairs, and you'll stop me right there and say, that's not even the right question. Yep. Let me ask you this. Do you start with the congregation or do you start with the people around, like the other building users who don't happen to be part of Central itself? I think that 
all of these questions are how you're going to find the right question. So the first thing you're doing as you're asking me, well, how do you find the question is acknowledging that there's a whole lot of things we don't know. So when we start with what we think the question at hand is, we're taking a whole bunch of assumptions and just letting them set the marker for us unintentionally. So we're presuming that what we would like is an extension of the status quo. So if we look at it and we say, really, there's only two choices here. We either pay to make these repairs, investments, and improvements, or we don't. If we start and say that's our question, do we pay this or not, we're starting from an operating place of saying, because what we're really looking at is 99% knowns and 1% unknown. The only unknown is will we do it or not. When in reality, we have about at least 50% known and 50% unknown. And I'd actually say 99% unknown and 1% known. (laughs) We know what happened in the future. We don't know what's going to happen next. And what happens next is going to be very much determined by the questions we ask as we start the process. I always go back to spending an entire portion of a day, not even a morning, in a church basement with a listening season, where when we got done, when the organizers of the morning's work got done, we looked at all the answers that we had gotten from people, and everything we got was a technical solution to doing more of the same. Mm-hmm. And we just groaned. We were like, oh, how did this happen? All the answers boiled down to do more of the same, do it more often and do it harder or different or maybe standing on our head. They were all tweaks. There was no adaptive thinking at all. Well, we could have thrown our hands up and said, wow, we must have really gathered a subpar group of people. And that's how we got these answers. Gosh, next time we should really get some better thinkers in the room. But as we looked back at what happened, we realized that it was all in the questions we asked. All of the answers we got were the reasonable response to the questions we laid out. And that taught me the value of really spending the time up front finding the right question. We tend to rush in thinking we know what the question is, and we're going to spend all of our energy and time answering it. And if we don't put the energy and time up front, we find in the end that we've answered the wrong question, and we've most likely figured out how to replicate what we've already done. Just repeat the pattern. And I think that that right there is such a complex concept that they don't teach in seminary or at least they didn't when I was in seminary 20 years ago. They may now, because I think there's more interest and there's more training in community organizing now in some of our seminaries than there used to be. But they certainly didn't when I was there. And this concept of the way, Deacon, that you've put this is the way you do a thing is the result that you create. And so the question that you ask is going to create the pathway that you've created. And so to take the time to create the question and to craft that question in time being so critical. I actually think it's one of the most important things we can do as leaders. 
and it's often not taught that way. We're conditioned as leaders, and the people who agree to have us in leadership positions often look to leaders to cast the vision. Why don't you figure it out and bring us all on board and tell Mm -hmm. us how to do this? And I don't actually think that that is the most productive use of talent and energy. And I think it really robs people of their own agency and makes communities, whatever group is working together, only as powerful as their leader. And I am terrified of any group in which I would be the one with the wisdom. Um, (laughs) I'm really hoping for something better. And so as a leader, it's really about, in, in many ways, this is like casting the vision, but it's casting the question. Yep. Versus giving the destination. It's being the person who can help people look at how to break something open because that has the potential to bring the energy and the creativity and the capacity of everyone in the room into this journey together. And I think it creates space for the Holy Spirit to Mm -hmm. do the work. This isn't about my wisdom or your wisdom or how do we navigate between factions with differing opinions? It's how do we create enough air and space in the system that the Holy Spirit gets the chance to whisper to us? How do we get out of the way? Absolutely. I had someone I was talking to yesterday about the whole situation, about the coming work and trying to determine as a community, how do we imagine our way through this and what would be the why we would do the repairs that would capture my imagination such that, you know, I would be excited. What would be so exciting that maybe we could even raise $3 million because there would be so much that this facility could do for Northeast Portland and the neighborhood that it could just be amazing. And my friend asked me, well, what do you imagine? What's your vision for this? And I said, well, it doesn't matter. Like, that's not my job. Rostered leaders come and go from communities. And my call is, as you've said, right, Deacon, our call as rostered leaders is to help help our communities find the questions, help our communities recognize their gifts, help our communities dig in and grow strengths and reach and build their abilities so that whether we go or stay, right, generations remain within these spaces. And I think as a pastor for whom the training can sometimes be, you should cast the vision and you should lead. This way of breaking open the questions and relying on the questions and helping the community find questions, it is such a different way of being in leadership and a different way of doing ministry that it can absolutely clash with the training and it can clash with what is expected. So there are moments where like Deacon has to pull me back from like wanting to have the answers and expecting to have the agenda and wanting to cast the vision or calm down the anxiety in the system and make everybody happy by saying, well, here's what we're going to do. And 
let the agitation of the system and the anxiety be present because then that's when the Holy Spirit shows up with these amazing opportunities and these whispers and these new songs and these new ways of being that can really bring amazing new things, if any of that makes any sense. It's fascinating listening to you two discuss this and hearing things like the rostered leader is somebody who's going to change and you're really there to help facilitate more than make any decision. Whereas coming from the congregational viewpoint, I am also not going to be in that congregation for forever for whatever reason. So that is also an ever-changing aspect of this. And especially having come from the Catholic background that I have, where there is somebody basically making the decisions that go down the food chain, how do you ever get anything decided in a community-based <laughs> decision-making process? I'm flabbergasted. How does this even work? It works 100% based on listening, which is why the question matters. Okay. The question matters because where we go needs to be based on what we've actually heard, not our assumptions, not our gut instincts, not our self-reliance, not our independence. Part of a starting acknowledgement or starting choice, a starting question is, are we an open system or a closed system? And that's a question about who do we listen to? Who has say in the question on the table? So if we said what we're wondering about is this proposal that we raise and spend this money, there's all these questions that follow from that. And one of the first ones is, well, who's the we wondering about do we raise and spend this money? Is it five council members and the rostered leader? Because in some church systems, that's really what it is. Mm -hmm. Is it the rostered leader alone? Is it the congregation as a whole, or are we an open system that's in relationship with lots of other stakeholders? Is it an open system where any significant decision of this size is a great opportunity to explore connection? So part of the conversation that Pastor and I have is she helps me in my development as a preacher. So I sit down to write these sermons with no really good homiletical training because the Catholics did not expect me to preach. <laughs> you know, her refrain to me is always, well, did you point to Jesus? And I'm always happy when I could say back, yes, I did. And I pointed to the neighbor because as a word and service person, as a community organizer, the picture in my mind is, yes, it's my job to point to Jesus. And where does Jesus point? Jesus points to the kingdom, which is all about relationship and justice. So it's all about my neighbor. And so for me, the driving question becomes, what's our neighbor's stake in this question? If we as a collection of people have $1.5 million at our disposal for whatever reason, is that a question just about the 45 of us or the 75 of us? Or is that really a question about what does it mean to have resources and options when some maybe a lot of your neighbors really appear to have not enough resources and have run out of options. 
Can I ask you what you're talking about specifically when it comes to the word neighbor? Are you talking about other building users or are you talking specific neighborhood, like whoever lives in a you know geographically adjacent area? Or does that word not matter? Um, it does matter because that's part of what you're needing to work out together collectively is where's where's the spirit whispering to us as a gathered group of people about who our neighbor is. Sometimes I think we like to dodge specificity by saying, well, don't you understand everyone's our neighbor? Mm-hmm. That, you know, as Christians, when we think about the Good Samaritan and the question of who's the neighbor, we want to be not specific. And anybody could be the neighbor, so we could do anything. We forget that in that parable, there is a very specific neighbor, and it's the Samaritan. The Samaritan actually managed to show up and be a neighbor to the beaten person, not the priest, not the other person. The least likely, the not expected one showed up and knew how to show up as a neighbor. Because I think that parable gets inverted and becomes about who's the neighbor as in can you see that the man beaten at the side of the road is your neighbor? I have to go back and look, but I kind of don't think that was the question. The question was who showed up as a neighbor? Mm-hmm. That so is the question we... Jesus asks. Yeah, but we want to make it about, do you know that that beaten man is your neighbor? And mm-hmm. which beaten man should you pick? If the person in need is your neighbor, yes, you're right. It's endless. But Jesus's question was about how do we neighbor? What are we getting out of and walking away from because we have other obligations or there's different barriers, all the reasons that the other people didn't stop. So the question for us is, how are we supposed to neighbor? And when we're talking about a building, we're talking about a specific geographic location and an incredible economic asset to have this much square footage in the city of Portland and be entrusted to hold it under the guise of the house of God. Well, then if this is the house of God, then how does God neighbor? How do we show up? And what does that mean about what we decide to do with things related to our property? So more so than I'm wondering about, can we figure out who our neighbor is? I'm wondering about how can we figure out how we are called to neighbor? And if it's the Jericho Road that runs right outside this door, who's already laying there that we're supposed to attend to? And that's a hard question. And that's the reality is that it's not supposed to be an easy question. And if people hear that question and feel deeply uncomfortable by it and feel deeply convicted by it to say, which of these was a neighbor to this man? And it feels really uncomfortable because we are not the one who showed up and bound the person's wounds and cleaned them and put them in our car and drove them to a hotel and put them up for several nights and left money for them and came back and paid the tab. If we're not the one who did that, and so it feels really convicting, it has been that convicting of a question for 2,000 years. And that's the point. It's the point of our faith. That's the point of the parable, is that this lawyer was convicted by that parable, and Jesus knew it would be convicting, and said, go and do likewise. And the lawyer walks away very very perplexed and very upset. Like he doesn't walk away going, yes, I won the lotto. I get to go and be a neighbor. This is awesome. (laughs) He walks away like, well, shit, this is not going to be easy. And yes, I swore on our podcast, (laughs) right? Like it's not an easy thing to do. And that's reality. 
And so if that's a hard concept or a hard question, that's the point of it. And we are asking the very hard questions of ourselves as we're faced with a very hard reality. The piece that comes to me as I knew about some of these things as some of the bids were coming in before we made all of this public because we needed to get the information in before we let everybody know. Mm -hmm. And so when the bid on like the big stained glass wall, we found out there was a little bit of dry rot in there. And then we needed to get that checked to make sure it was actually dry rot and not something more serious or that it wasn't more structural damage. As the bid came in and I was looking at it all, my question and my prayer of discernment is, is this ethical? How do we find an ethical response in this time and in this place in 2022 to invest this much financial resource into a building in a time of climate change and crisis, in a time of racial discrepancies, in a time of so much unrest? What is it that we need to be doing to make it ethical to pour the resources into a physical structure? And how will that serve human beings? How will that serve neighbor? How would it be neighborly to put that much money into a building? Because that's really hard for me to see right now. And so Part of my personal question is just wanting to see that vision, wanting to see that dream of our people and wanting to see a dream in the community. And, and community, I need to see more than from the people of Central. Like, I want to see the dream of our neighborhood of Sullivan's Gulch, a dream in this connecting point of Sullivan's Gulch and Irvington, this dream of a five-block radius around Northeast 21st Avenue, in Portland of what this facility could do or be that would be useful to human beings so that the investment of time and resource and energy and heart in this decade when so much is going to be at a tipping point, that that's where our energy should go. Because there are so many things that could use our energy right now. So many lives need our energy right now. And our people are uniquely gifted to use their voices and their energy and advocacy for so many different lives, whether that be for houseless lives or whether that be for LGBTQIA youth. You know, there's so many different ways that our people are uniquely gifted in advocacy work that to spend our time advocating and raising funds for a facility, I want to make sure that it's for something that is fitting with the passions of our hearts as well. And I think it comes back then, Deacon, to our question, right? If we start with, are we doing this or not? That's not the right question because that doesn't get to why would we do this? And even saying, why would we do this? Doesn't get to the right answer. And so we dig and we dig and we dig and we dig at trying to find the right question so we can find the pathway. So how much time do you spend trying to find this right question, the magic question, as it were? Because it seems like the clock is ticking on some of these structural issues. 
It is. And it's one of those things you, you don't know until you show up and start doing it. Do you just start asking questions, trying to find the right one? Or do you spend some time discerning good questions to ask? I think that that's the place that we're in right now is talking about what are the good questions and what is what is the most right question we can start with, knowing that there's a constant evolution through the conversations. There are moments where we go, oh, that's one step further or that's one step closer. You've brought in a piece we left behind because, again, none of this is any one person's best shot at using their brain. We think that's what leadership is. We think that's what decision-making is. Is Somewhere between intellect and guts, we'll get where we're going. That is such an American, self-reliant, egocentric way of operating. It's probably great if you're Jeff Bezos, and it's probably working great for other corporate capitalistic driven, look, my whole goal, my whole bottom line determines it. Mm -hmm. And there you don't have a question. Your question is what's going to make the most money, period. We are a very different way of gathering people. And we are not built around what's the best guts and intellect that we can combine. We are built around who are we being invited to be living as the people of God. And so our models are all of these ineffective, broken down, low-ass, needing correction leaders that we see through God's story all along the way. You know, Moses sure was a crappy leader. He had him wandering in the wilderness for 40 days (laughs) and 40 years. And we've got all of this demonstration that God's way forward is almost never a straight line. And there are all of these tangents and paths that are not succinct and they don't make sense. And all along the way, it's almost like it's all centered in relationship. And what God's really doing is unwinding God's covenant and building this trust and doing this inviting back. And people are in this dynamic, nonlinear conforming to the will of God because they are because that's that's what we see worked out and that's what we're being invited into and it's so frustrating because we are trained for efficiency we are asked to find a magic hero that's another you know just false narrative that every every good thing had you know you have MLK you have um Rosa Parks all of these things that yes these are incredible people and they were the tip of really broad, deep, well-supported organizing. So these one-offs of the idea that we get somewhere because there is one brilliant leader is a false narrative. And it's particularly other than Christ, not a God narrative. And so it does take time and it is frustrating and it is open and invitational and fluid and adaptive all of these more challenging ways. Because in the end, if you start from relationship and you end in relationship, then you've done what you're called to do. And the task is beside the point. So we may keep the building as it is. We may let the building go. We may make the building better. 
we may fail to uphold the legacy that is the building. And in the end, God is God, and we are God's people, and we're called to love one another and build the kingdom. And so really, it's just another opportunity to live into that invitation. The question on the table isn't the building at all. I absolutely adore talking to you and getting a completely different experience and perspective. The one that I feel like I have been pushed towards as somebody who has gone to church all my life, because that's usually not the right path for one reason or another. (laughs) It's a vastly shifting perspective, right? Yep. To give ourselves the opportunity to really dig and lean into the community of God and to live into the dwelling and the living of the faith. And I think the more we are able to do that and the more we live into this, it is disruptive and it is beautiful. And who knows, right? And I think that's one of the pieces that as we go farther into this conversation together, we keep wanting to make certain that people understand that one, we have time for these questions. We have gotten far enough ahead on the repairs on the building that we do have time, that there's not an emergency. The clock may be ticking, but it's a much slower clock Mm -hmm. than we've been accustomed to hearing tick in the past. So if we take a year to make a decision, nothing is going to fall through a roof. Nothing is going to be massively damaged and no stained glass is going to land on our head. We have time to ask these questions and we should take the time to ask these questions. And the other piece we really want people to understand is that we don't have the answer. We don't know where we're going. It's not that Deacon and I or the council or anyone is sitting somewhere in the building with like the blueprint of exactly where we're going and we're just waiting to piece it out to everybody in some kind of Hansel and Gretel breadcrumb situation. And as long as we can lead everybody there at about the right time, then we're going to have a really cool party and it's going to be a great reveal. Like we are walking along this path together and discovering what it is the Holy Spirit is calling us to alongside of one another. And the questions we are asking are genuine questions. It's not uh, an attempt at manipulating people to find something. It's not an agenda that we're trying to coerce people towards. It's a genuine set of questions to say, wow, what do we do next? Okay, that's going to lead me to my last question. For all of this, for anybody who is either part of Central or watching Central go through this, what is the next step? Are we at a point where you're going to start putting out questionnaires to either the congregation or the neighbors or the building users or whoever? What is the next step? So the next step that we have on the books is that Deacon and I are meeting with the council president, and we will be working to create a mini retreat for our council, creating an agenda to help try and find the questions. Excellent. That we will figure out the next best, how was it that you put that, Deacon? It was so beautiful. Yeah, the most right question that we can ask right now. That one. So we'll figure that out, hopefully, to take 
to the council who will have a mini retreat in about two and a half weeks. And the council will gather and have a conversation. And then we will be heading towards creating a listening season with the congregation and planning out more from there. Excellent. Well, thank you both for joining me and trying to figure out exactly how you find the question and all this. I look forward to sitting down with you both because I think that's coming in a future podcast somewhere. Another time on another topic. As do I. And thank you again, Deacon, for joining us. Thanks for having me. Always a gift. If you are interested in being a part of the conversation or joining in our listening sessions around this topic, or if you have some thoughts and want to have a chat, reach out to us. We would love to hear from you. You can find us at podcast at centralportland.org. And until we are in your ears again, remember, God loves you no matter what. <laughs>